Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops and throughout the series we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup will be heading to our shores for the first time to showcase the best women's hoops in our region. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. And there's so many quotes from that show that I have on my phone for various reasons, but that one needs to be plastered everywhere in the same way that he plastered believe above his coach's office door. Yeah. When that line came out on the show, I thought to myself, yeah, you know what? This is something that every owner and every coach and everybody involved in the front office of any club needs to put up on the wall and understand. In this episode, we lean on some Ted Lasso inspiration for the name of the pod. You'll have to listen in for that one. We get into the recent swarm of speculation on the WNBL just as the CBA was being negotiated ahead of free agency. At the time we recorded this episode, free agency was delayed. It's only just opened up on Tuesday the 9th of May, weeks later than it was expected to, leaving a lot of athletes in a state of limbo and the whole WNBL fan base in a bit of a tailspin. We'll unpack some glaring issues and get back to the real business of our top tier women's hoops. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me as always, my co-host Jacinta Govind. And this one's going to be a little bit different to what you've heard recently from us. There were a couple of articles that came out about the WNBL, uh, the future of the WNBL from Code Sports. And it's one of those topics that comes up every once in a while and you just really need to talk about it. So that's where we're going to be getting into today. Jacinta, you've read those articles. To me, they came across as a little bit sensationalist. What did you think? Yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it, to be honest. I was just reviewing the articles again in preparation for this episode and it also read to me as sensationalist and part of me as well needed to go back and forth within the same article because I felt like it was a lot of contradictory information. You know, on one hand, uh, the theme of the article was how much Larry Kesselman is ready to invest in the WNBL and is in talks with BA and then so many paragraphs later it will say things like it's too early to say if he's interested so it just feels like a little bit of an emotional whiplash in a sense almost like being in a bit of a toxic relationship where you're being led one way and then the intention is actually something else so yeah I feel like it was just a bit of a piece of sensationalist journalism perhaps it was supposed to be like that perhaps the purpose of it was to um, get people talking and here we are talking about it 
Perhaps it was to try and set some rumours in motion, plant some seeds of ideas in people. But, um, yeah, that was my initial thoughts on it, on the articles. Yeah. And there was that the first article before that Larry Kesselman one, which had the, you know, that blinding headline that read, future of WNBL in doubt as owners clash with Basketball Australia. I mean, you, you can't get much more sensationalist than that. And going through that article, it felt like somebody wanted to get their point of view across to a wider audience than what they were getting it out to. I want to talk about that particular article first and then get into the, the one that followed up, which was about Larry Kesselman. Now, it started off by saying, you know, the future of the WNBL. Now, I don't think the future of the WNBL is in question here. And I also didn't like the take that they used, which is, you know, the players are caught in the crossfire. So I want to just talk about that a little bit because I think if anybody's actually trying to help the WNBL by putting articles like this out, you know what, it's really not helping. And it's certainly not the kind of messaging you want to be putting out to the players either. Now, we all know that free agency has been delayed because of negotiations that are going on, and that's okay. This article kind of felt a little bit like someone's trying to push a point in relation to what's going on because they specifically mentioned that the players are looking for a significant increase on the minimum wage, which is currently $15,000. And I don't know about you, but to me, $15,000 for the athletes that we've got in the WNBL as a minimum seems pretty poor. Yeah, I mean, what can you even do with $15,000? That's like having a part-time job and being a professional athlete is a full-time job. I mean, even the basic entry-level admin officer makes more than that, right? Or yeah. an 18-year-old that has a, a job at Macca's. Yeah. Makes more than that. It's yeah. um, completely unrealistic to think that you're going to expect people to be a professional athlete, commit to your team, your club, and the same training schedule and live on as little as $15,000 for the six months. Yeah. Look, it's pushing people into the position where they've got to train and they've got a job. Mm. Now, there were some numbers that came out a while back that the Herald Sun put out which is saying that, you know, the, the average income across the WNBL is 37500 Now, obviously, you know, you've got players who are at the higher end of that. You've got a lot of players at 15000 which brings that average out. That's not a particularly high number. So I kind of question why anybody would argue about the players getting more than that. Now, one of the things that was quoted in the article, and this relates to, I'm just scanning the article right now, there was a point made, that Jerry Ryan wasn't keen on on paying whatever the increase was. I'm surprised by that because I think in this situation, this is where a hard cap can really be a positive force for getting players' salaries raised because at the moment you've got teams, which we, we know, we've seen it, they're out there and they're, they're spending big money to be able to buy a roster that will get them a championship. Yet... I've heard the rich clubs are the ones that tend to not want to have a hard cap because they've got the ability to spend when they need to to try and get the roster. Yet they're the ones that are complaining the most about, you know, raising the minimum. So you can't turn around and tell me, yeah, we, we want to spend whatever we can to try and get a huge roster in, yet 
we're not willing to support the players by giving them an increase in the minimum salary. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I had to read that part of the article a couple times. He starts by saying he does want to support the increase in pay, but then also feels like the lack of uh, vision from Basketball Australia for the league and the $5 million loss from last season, he feels like that's a, a reason why the pay can never go up. So it's a bit of a circular reasoning kind of around that where it kind of made me sit on the fence where I'm like, I'm not too sure if he is in favour or not. But then, so again, then later he says again, the priority of himself and other owners is to get the minimum wage up. If they can expand the sport and the fan base, then we can afford to pay more. So again, he's like, yeah, I support it, but on these conditions. Um, So it's almost like, well, how, like, how are we going to have one or the other? I feel like the last season we did a pretty good job expanding the sport and the fan base. And I just saw an article today. I mean, it may have been a BA article, so I'm not too sure if how they measured this in the article was by an external party or by BA. But apparently basketball is like the number one sport implemented in schools now. Yeah. So the sport definitely is seeing, you know, a growth again like we saw at the height of of the 90s. Um, But, yeah, so it it was a bit of a backward compliment for me, um, his perspective. Yeah, and to me it's a bit of a slap in the face to the players. I mean, if you go back to their first the first championship they won, they had Liz Cambage on the squad. I think they had Leilani Mitchell on the squad. Who else did they have on the on that squad that first year? Because it was it was like a stunning roster. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first time they won a championship as the Flyers. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the hub season. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they had. I think they had the likes of Cam Beige, Leilani Mitchell. I think they still had the uh, regulars like Beck Cole, yep. Jenna O'Hay, Sarah yep. Blissards. Yep. I can't remember if they had another import or if they ended up spending most of their money on Cam Beige. Yeah. I mean, look. The point being that they spend money, right? They they spend big money to get these rosters together because. And yet, oh yeah, we couldn't have imports that season because it was right. a hard season. Yeah. yeah. Right, but they had big rosters. They were paying big money to get these players, and there's an issue here in relation to you know it says the quite direct quote is salary increases are untenable. Um, yeah, for me, I read that and I'm thinking, what message are you sending to the people that are considering playing in the WNBL? You're almost saying in code sports, you know what? Go play for another code. Go play mm. AFLW, go play netball, go play, right? Because, you know, we're not willing to pay you. My thinking is if there was a hard cap, that would say all clubs can only spend so much. Once they've spent that amount, that's it. Now, if you're willing to spend over that, pay more f- for your players. Give them more of a salary. So basically what you're doing is you're raising the quality of the players by giving them the opportunity to practice more, they don't have to hold down a job and then rush to practice. And also, you're going to stop some of the bleed to the other codes. Mm. Yeah, then I think the argument, though, that you were talking about on the weekend against having a hard cap is that if the hard cap is set at a certain rate and top players can get a better salary going overseas, we're going to see more people go overseas rather than stay and play WNBL. That's true, but... Here's my question. Is that really a bad thing longer term? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, the likes of 
Ezzy, Darcy. Um, I mean, how many? We've got, what, five, six athletes at the WNBA already. It's inevitable. If we want our Opals, if we want to be a successful basketball nation on a world stage, e.g. Boomers and Opals, yep. players are always going to put their development and their career first. And if that means that they're going to be challenged more, they're going to be paid more, I mean, even if they're going to have a desired lifestyle experience off court, like that's why Beck Allen loves playing in Spain yep. because she loves the lifestyle off court as well. So Valencia is perfect. She said, you know, great for her. They're always going to seek that and they're always going to take that option to leave. I don't think that can purely be blamed if we have a hard cap. It's it's inevitable. Yeah, I, I agree. There's bigger money overseas and it's not necessarily a bad thing because what it does is it opens slots up for players to come up from you know NBL1 or other leagues and have a shot at the WNBL and develop themselves. And you know what? Yes, then, and then they'll move on and then you've got another opportunity for other players to come up. But I think the other problem that I really had with this article was it's distracting from the real issues. What it is, it's kind of like this simplistic, hey, if I throw this out, you know, it, fix this and it fixes everything. And I'm sorry, I don't think it does because it distracts from things like the league needs better broadcast. They need to improve fan engagement. They need to attract bigger crowds to the games, you know, and they need to support the media that supports the league that they don't really support. So let's talk about each one of those. And I want to start off with the ones that sit fair and square with the clubs. That's improving fan engagement and attracting bigger crowds. The WNBL has a role to play in that, but flat out that sits with the clubs. It's your fan base. It's your fan engagement. It's your stadium. It's your home court. You need to be able to bring people in. Now, winning teams get big crowds. The challenge is how do you get your crowds up when you're not winning? Because not everybody's going to win. And obviously from you know, these comments where they're quoting Jerry Ryan, buying a team to win will fill the room, but you're still losing money because you're spending so much on your roster. So how do you improve fan... How do you get the clubs to improve fan engagement and getting bigger crowds into the room? Yeah, that's really interesting, especially with Southside as the example from last season, having LJ... Uh, being a part of that John Kane Arena game where they recorded the biggest WNBL crowd ever, yep. Watch, watching their home and away games and seeing how packed the State Basketball Centre was for their games. So they were packed to the rafters with fans. There were so many fans at the end, you know, getting to sign stuff and and that kind of face-to-face engagement was back. So that's why I'm like, how did you run at a loss? Were you already like taking a loan or already in the red to pay salaries and not do your your sums of how you're going to get your returns because I think fan engagement is similar to an athlete in the off season you still need to be working there's always something you need to work on yep. so even when the season is approaching it's already too late even the season on it's already far too late if you're an athlete and you're getting prepped for a season your off-season, you're working on all of your weaknesses, you're still working on your skills, you're still staying in touch with the game somehow. And in the WNBL off-season, the club needs to do the same thing with the fans to keep the 
keep the talk going, whether that's going to schools, still having school camps and clinics, whatever it takes. There shouldn't be a rest day for fan engagement just like an athlete doesn't take a rest day. Yeah. See, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it at the moment. So if you look at social media, most of the clubs are doing a lot of stuff with what their stars are doing in NBL 1. And that's good, you know, creating uh, fan engagement with the club, but it's also doing a lot of fan engagement for the NBL 1. Yeah. And you know what? Start the thing, the content that I'm really drawn to that keeps me engaged, even with clubs that I didn't necessarily follow closely before, is all of that online content. Create a TikTok account. Have a, a media student from uni do your socials, do your post-game interviews, put that on all your social accounts. Do a podcast. You know, Adelaide Lightning did a podcast. UC Capitals don't have an official podcast. They have a fan podcast who are our friends, the UC Caps Weekly. Just all of those things make a massive difference. Anything that can be consumed, I mean, everyone's on their phone all the time, anything that can be easily consumed but also gives some kind of glimpse or insight into what the players are like off the court is going to be fan engagement. WNBA clubs are really good at it too. They just had some silly uh, Instagram reel the other day that I shared with the Connecticut Suns about what their favourite pizza topping is. And now I know that Beck Allen doesn't like pineapple and pizza and I think that's hilarious. But it got me engaged with the Connecticut Suns where I'm like, oh, hold on, they've got this person on their roster and this person and look how much fun they're having and how cool are those shirts. Can I have one of those shirts? Yep. It's just from a, what, 15-second Instagram reel. It should be easy. There are so many kids studying media that will have those skills just in their daily life. Just go and get them to use it and give them that experience. Yeah, it's not that hard. Plus, also, the good thing about that reel was it reinforced the fact that pineapple really shouldn't be on a pizza. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> Let's not get cancelled just yet. But, you know, I mean, if you improve the fan engagement, okay, you've got a better chance of attracting bigger crowds, even when you're not having a winning season. And we saw, you know, hard evidence of that when we went down to Canberra and we did a live podcast from the National Convention Centre. The fans came out in droves, even though Canberra had probably one of the worst seasons they've had for a long, long time. They still had the support. Now, yeah, I know historically Canberra has a great turnout, but that's that's the fan engagement. What's the secret sauce that Canberra has that the other clubs aren't capitalising on? Excuse me. And, you know, and yeah, <laughs> that was a good pun. <laughs> And, you know, we had the likes of uh, Bruce that we saw there on the ground who was able to bring out his signed championship polo shirts from, you know, the 90s. So, yeah, so that's the other – and they are all volunteers. Like what do the Caps do to keep volunteers coming back 30 years, like for 30 consecutive years? Their fan engagement too, we got to attend their end-of-season presentation. Yep. But uh, tickets were available to everyone. So imagine being able to go to your favourite club's end-of-year presentation. It's a great idea. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's a great way to to bring your fans into the fold, make them feel like they're part of the team. It's kind of funny. I, I'm i going to admit to watching Ted Lasso, and there, there was an interesting quote that came out of the, the most recent episode that I saw, which is, it's the fans' club. 
we get to borrow it for a while. Ah, uh-huh. see, I love Ted Lasso. I, uh, <laughs> I only uh, people have recommended that show to me so much, and I've only just started watching it with my mum. And now she's overseas. I promised I wouldn't watch any more without her. And there's so many quotes from that show that I have on my phone for various reasons, but that one needs to be plastered everywhere in the same way that he plastered believe above his coach's office door. Yeah. When that line came out on the show, I thought to myself, yeah, you know what? This is something that every owner and every coach and everybody involved in the front office of any club needs to put up on the wall and understand. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the Caps do have the advantage of being a city that is like a big regional town. Mm-hmm. So things are more accessible and a little bit more uh, in your face, I guess. And, you know, the Caps have such a rich history being the most successful Canberra professional sporting team ever. Yep. But I think uh, I think they've done a good job with sticking to their roots they don't try and fit another mould of this is what a professional team should look like. Mm. And I know that systemically they ha- and ad- administratively they still have their own issues, but the fans still keep coming back and they still commit to putting on the best game day that they can. Yep. And I think another good thing that I realised is that they have some really good merch and the merch is very easily accessible when we went to the convention centre yeah. and they even were selling some of the older merch and our good friend Nick Walker was still able to get some jerseys of other players who played for the Caps once upon a time that he still really liked as players. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hmm. And and that's the sort of stuff that everybody needs to start doing. You know, if, you, if you're just going to distill it down to, you know, okay, I'm losing money, so therefore I'm going to take whatever steps I can. Okay, from a straight business point of view, I get that. But the problem is... I think that actually alienates the fans. Mm. Okay, the fans do want to buy the merch. And, yeah, that means you might get lumped with a whole lot of, you know, outdated merch at the end of the year, but still have it available for people to buy. People will always want to buy something. And I think that'll help towards attracting the bigger crowds. I think also one of the things that is important for attracting bigger crowds is the location of the game. You've got to have a lot of facilities within easy walking distance of your stadium. So NCCC has got plenty of stuff going around it. Some of the other stadiums, like if you think back to the days of the the old convention centre in Sydney, one of the advantages it had was you'd cross the road and you were in Chinatown. There was lots of food options. There was coffee options. If you didn't want to get stuck in a three-hour queue to get out of the car park, you could go somewhere and do something and let the queue dissipate so that you could go to the car park and and leave. I think it's important to be able to have other facilities around because, okay, Jerry Ryan says that we're in the entertainment business. Okay, if you're in the entertainment business, understand the entertainment doesn't start when people walk into the stadium and then, you know, the entertainment finishes when they walk out of the stadium. It's just part of the entertainment experience. If it's going to be at a time in the evening when people are going to want to eat something beforehand and maybe do something afterwards, you've got to be in an area where there are options. If they're not within easy walking distance, they've got to be no more than four or five minutes away by driving. And if that's not the case, you're not in the entertainment business. Yeah, and before when you mentioned uh, where Sydney used to be, did you mean the entertainment centre? Yeah. 
Yeah, and because I still remember when my mum used to take us to Sydney Kings games there. Yep. We always used to go to Choi's in in Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to anyone that remembers Choi's. Yep. Um, Choi's in Chinatown, go to the game, be able to walk back to the car park or the train or wherever with ease. I don't remember it being, I mean, maybe I was a bit of a naive kid too, but I don't remember it ever being a hassle. And maybe now that I've grown a lot older and maybe a little bit more uh, precious with my um, energy levels, yeah. going to Kudos is all well and good, but that's um, for me, I'm like, oh, driving versus train. I would prefer to take the train, but taking public transport there from the coast is a bit of a nightmare. And then also when I get there, uh, the food, yeah, the food options at Kudos aren't the best either, no. unless we just happen to be there when something else is on and there's food trucks. Yeah. I mean, the locker room's always going to be. The other thing is, I don't want to compete with people. I don't want to have to get there three hours early to get a seat at the locker room or a seat at Peanut or pay, you know, $70 at Ribs and Rumps yep. um, or whatever it's called. And, you know, look, I'm happy with those very basic chicken nuggets and chips at Kudos, but <laughs> they can't be a staple. No, and I mean, you know, that's one of the problems with having no options close by because even even the locker room or all the other places you've you've mentioned, like the locker room, I think, is like six or seven hundred meters away. The other yeah. places are, you know, a kilometer plus. Getting from the station to Kudos is not a short walk. If the weather's bad, you don't want to be doing that. Mm. So, yeah, okay, I get it. If you're in the entertainment business, no problem. I'm with you 100%. And I, I actually agree with it. You are in the entertainment business. But the game's not the only entertainment involved. It's the whole experience of going to the mm. game, watching the game, what you do before, what you do after. And I don't think that's being catered for. And and I think that really impacts your crowds and the ticket sales is a lot of money for the clubs. If you think back to the, the game that Southside played at the Key Centre, that was the biggest crowd all season. You know, both sides of the stadium were pretty full and we didn't have crowd numbers like that for the rest of the season. So it's kind of telling you that there's other steps that need to be taken to be able to attract people to a game. The game is kind of like the core, but you need to have stuff built around it to support the game. Yeah, I think that's, a, yeah, really good. Make it, like you said before, make it more about the experience and not just going to a basketball game. Yeah. And we'll go back to the broadcast. And I, I know we've talked about broadcast many times before, so I don't want to go spend too much time on that. But I do want to say that the way the broadcast happened the beginning of the season, I think that had some sort of an impact on viewership for the rest of the season because anybody who watched some of those games for those first four weeks would have just been looking at it going, I don't want to watch this. And a lot, I think you would have lost a lot of people and the, that's going to affect the clubs as well. So, you know, that's why I said I don't. it's not just about the salaries. It's a whole lot more complex than, you know, how much money you're spending. Yeah, yeah, and I think... With the broadcast, yeah, we know for a fact that people stopped watching. And because everyone was so excited for the next season, off the World Cup, LJ was back. We're back on free-to-air TV. So we had a lot of things going in the right direction to build the hype. And then opening round, the broadcast is no good. And one, maybe two weeks, you can put up with it. But four or five weeks plus, nah, nah. 
that's yeah, you, you're gonna you lost some people yeah, there. Gonna, so they're either just gonna watch the replay or not even bother. Yeah, you're gonna turn them off. Also, that was one of the one of the things that surprised me. The article actually said, you know, the WNBL matches can be streamed, but live free to air broadcasts are non-existent. Yeah, you know, I get it that the Nine Now is seen as a streaming service for Channel Nine. Mm. Um, but a lot of people would see it as free to wear. That's kind of a, a well, let's just say there's a little bit of an artistic license taken with that statement. Yeah, I think when everyone was like, oh, but it's a streaming service, I'm like, yeah, but it's free. Yeah. So, I mean, I've stopped my KO subscription. Thankfully, you know, the plus side is that I could stop my KO subscription. Mm. So mm. I could watch it on Nine now because KO is ridiculously expensive. Yep. And in a world where oranges are costing $10 a kilo, um, <laughs> we're going to have to make some cuts somewhere. So, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know why people are getting so upset about, oh, but it's a streaming service. Yeah, it is, but it's free, so it's still kind of free to wear. The plus side with a streaming service is that it still had, well, I think, I'm guessing, it had less ads than what it would be on a regular free to wear. Yeah, it definitely had less ads. And so I keep coming back to this article. It's like it almost feels like we're going to fix the WNBL by clubbing it over the head. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the notes I also wrote in prep was like, how long is this going to take? Because one of the articles they said, you know, I think Larry Kesselman was paraphrased to say or perhaps even quoted to say, we'll have to start from scratch. He and BA would have to work together to try and figure out what model was going to be the most beneficial for the league and the players, um, but meaning we'd have to start from scratch. And I'm like, we don't have time for that, man. Oh. We're 43 years deep. Yeah. Like, like unless you're going to, you know, create a model that's going to implement uh, measurable changes over a long period of time and being able to prioritise what to target first, sure, but it's May and the season's supposed to start November, December. I'm not too sure what they're expecting to do, if anything, in such a short period of time. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that they'll arrive on a model, whatever financial or business model they come up with, and, you know, they'll come up with it sometime this year and, you know, take 12 months to implement it or something like that because anything else doesn't make a lot of sense. But going back to this, that second article where they're talking about Larry Kesselman and, you know, look, I'm not going to take anything away from what Larry's done. He's taken the NBL when it was literally on its knees and turned it around. But the first article in the code says the NBL is still working its way towards profitability. So if that's the case... And, you know, the code's quoting it, and I've got to assume that they've done their homework on this. How's this going to address the issue that the owners have with losing money? That's uh, a very, very good question. On the one hand, we don't want to increase player wage because we're losing money. But on the other hand, we want the same owner to buy us out with the same model for a league that doesn't make profit. It do- I, now, listen, I've said lots of times, I'm not a business person, a numbers person. I've got the uh, the health brain yep. <laughs> uh, instilled in me. So sometimes this stuff to me doesn't make sense, but I'm pretty sure I've got this sum right. <laughs> yeah, no, you do. 
there's, <laughs> there's no, no two ways about it. And, and I know it sounds like I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here, but to me, all of this stuff constantly, it's negative news. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, you got If you go back to the players and the fans, are you seriously – look, now this is me getting really frustrated. Are you seriously telling me that the best way you can come up with to fix the league is to complain and say to the players, yeah, it's not viable to give you a raise. And to the fans, it's like, hey, we're in the entertainment business, but are we really entertaining you? Mm. Right? But in the meantime, while you're trying to make your mind up on that, we're just going to keep pumping out negative news like this article. Um, you know what? To all the owners, go and listen to our podcast with Justin Nelson. Mm. Guys, it's all about the fans. It's not about you. It's about the fans. you got to get the fans in the door. And at the moment, you know, some clubs are doing it and some clubs are not. This complaining about, oh, you know, we, we lost $5 million bucks. Okay, you lost $5 million bucks. How much of that is down to overpaying for rosters? I mean, you and I have both heard rumours about the sort of numbers that some of the players were paid. If they're true, and if any of the owners of those players are complaining, guys, that one's back at you. Yeah, worst kept secret of the league. That's the other thing about the WNBL. Nothing's really sacred. So <laughs> those player salaries we heard, uh, yeah, I blew a lot of people's minds. But, yeah, when you asked at the start of the episode what I thought of those articles and we talked about how it was sensationalism, the other thing was it's, again, the only time the WNBL gets in the mainstream paper is when it's been run through the mud, when there's drama, when it's negative press. And the old saying of, you know, any press is good press or whatever it's supposed to be. No, not in this situation. And it's not against the people writing. I don't want to say this to badmouth the people writing these articles because we know that they, like our other journalist friends, probably want to write some good articles that are positive and about players and celebrating the league too. But we know for a fact how often they're knocked back. How often journalists who generally like basketball who work for mainstream media, want to write those things and their bosses say, no, go and write something else about footy. Yeah, and this comes back to that other point where it's like, you know what, at some point the league's got to say, yeah, we do need to engage with mainstream media. You can't not engage with them and let's actively engage with the media outlets that are actually trying to, you know, they're supporting us, they're doing articles, podcasts, stories, you know, yes, they may be questioning what we do, but they're doing it from the point of view of, you know, this is an issue and actually putting up potential solutions rather than just constantly complaining. And we did get some momentum at the end of the season where we were able to get a couple of feature stories on the Today Show when uh, uh, LJ and Tess Magin went on about she hoops and then the morning after the WNBL Awards, Kayla got on about her being the MVP so that we're, we're heading in the right direction and got some really positive momentum with getting some exposure in mainstream. So hopefully those doors will still be open yeah. when for next season too. But we need to try and it's going to be a really tough task, I think, for the the league and the, the people working behind the league to make these positive changes to start turning that narrative around everything is negative and come and join the WNBL for the drama when uh, there's so much more 
better things to be talking about. Yeah. I suppose the, the one advantage that the WNBL's got is the Asia Cup is coming to town. It's not the World Cup, but it's here's an opportunity to be able to try and get an engagement bounce with a wider audience from significant international competition. And that means, I've got to go back to it. It's like, can we stop with these negative articles? Can we stop with this this approach? Can we try and look at it from the point of view of, yeah, okay, there are issues, but let's not just, you know, club it over the head. Let's have constructive discussions and then let's try and utilise the Asia Cup to try and give the WNBL a bounce in engagement because, okay, WNBL is in the entertainment business. It is a sport, but it is an entertainment business. Then let's look at it as an entertainment business. The other thing I just thought of as well in terms of fan engagement, you know, obviously the Matildas are getting ready for the World Cup because we're hosting the Women's Soccer World Cup in Australia across different cities and everyone's getting hyped for that and there's the documentary on Disney+. Yep. And the thing that has really hooked my interest in the Matildas for the first time is that I can buy their uniform at Rebel Sport. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so I walked, we, you know, down at Erin Affair, uh, Rebel Sport has moved. I've got a refurb. And the, that's big, big gossip down here on the Central Coast. And we got a Uniqlo, so we're coming up in the world. I shouldn't bag out the Central Coast. It's great. But I went into Rebel Sport actually to see if they have more women's basketball gear because me always whinging about yeah. that. First thing I see when I walk in is the a home and away kit for the Matildas and that away kit in that light teal green yeah. is perfection and I was like, I'm ready to be a Matildas fan because I just because that kit's so nice. But it's not so much that, it's that the kit's available. Yeah, I can go and buy it. Imagine if we had the World Cup. And the Opal singlets were available ahead of time. So I could go to the first game wearing the singlet. I won't have to wait in a line for 90 minutes for a jersey that just to learn when I got to the front of the line was actually out of stock and they didn't have the printing materials available for an LJ jersey. Yeah. Yeah, And then people buying it afterward and some getting sold out. Imagine being able just to go in and buy it like that's another way to have the fan engagement. If it's not available, people aren't going to buy it. They're not going to see it. They're not going to buy it. It's the same. It's, we say it with everything else. You don't put it on TV. You can't justify that no one's going to watch it because it's not on TV for us to watch. Yeah. I think this is actually an important topic, and I think it's something we need to go back and talk about because obviously, you know, we were gearing up to do a, uh, an episode on free agency. And then. Yes. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, your favorite. My favorite. <laughs> and. We had to postpone it because free agency got postponed. I mean, to- talking as well about before how you feel like these types of stories are actually distracting from some issues, we're still yet to negotiate or have confirmation that the league and the Players Association have negotiated a minimum salary. Yep. I'm not too sure if no news is good news or if it, we're just in a stalemate or what's happening with it, but... The thing that worries me is that the longer it goes on for, I don't know how much information players are getting through the Players Association in terms of updates of what's happening, in terms of talks, negotiations, timelines, because there are uh, 50 uncontracted players that that need to decide their fate for their next professional season. And like you said before, there's probably a lot of 
fringe players on that 50 who would be tempted to go to something like AFLW if it means you're going to get a guaranteed contract of higher salary, even if it's a game that you've never played before and you're going to get that opportunity to do so. The longer you wait, like what's the guarantee that you're going to A, get a contract, get a contract that's going to be suitable for you, be able to put together a good roster. The Flames, I mean, how many decisions can the Flames make with a technically an interim head coach, considering that that court case is only going to be uh, dealt with in July? I know that lots of players will still be with NBL1, but you want to know what you're going into net for your next professional season and have enough time for preparation. You can still be preparing while you're at MBL1. You might have your coach say, uh, in the meantime, work on X, Y, Z for the next season, whatever. That's the biggest question marks for me is that we've got 50 players who need contracts and is it going to be a mad dash to the finish line or are things already happening? Well, yeah, there's not been a lot of news about that. But for me, out of this as well, is I don't think it's just BA and the Players Association. If you've got owners saying, I'm not willing to take on the expense of an increase, then who's being the blocker to a successful outcome? Mm. Right. I mean, for all we know, you know, and listen, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air here, and if it gives anyone a heart attack, I'm sorry. I have no clue. I'm just picking numbers out of thin air just to work with round numbers. Let's say they that BA and the Players Association agreed on $25,000 as a base. Right, I don't think it's going to be that high because that's that's a ten thousand dollar jump. But let's assume that they did. If the owners say, "Yeah, we don't want to pay it," well, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, and we talked before about how the thought of a hard cap. People's argument is, you know, players are going to go elsewhere. Despite all of the things that haven't been implemented and confirmed, all the more reason for players to go elsewhere. I mean, Shyla Heal has tweeted a bunch of emojis hinting that she's signed a deal overseas. So I'm pretty confident that she's going to be going to Europe next WNBL season anyway. And what's what's stopping the likes of Keely Froling um, following in the likes? You know, I compare her a lot to Darcy Garvin because they're similar skill set and height and things like that. Darcy Garvin's done her first season in Europe, very successful season too. What's stopping the likes of Keely who really gave her all in a very tumultuous season last yes. year, was able to still lead her team to play and played her best, really refined her leadership skills. Um, what's stopping her from just saying, you know what, this is too much for me. If I've got offers from Europe, I'm just going to go. And with no negotiations and all this uncertainty, what's stopping from players going now? Yeah, there's, there's nothing stopping them. And, and that's the whole point. And I suppose when you put it that way, you're kind of focusing in on all the different things that were going through my head when I was reading those articles. And it really came down to the fact that you're not giving the players any certainty in what's going to go on. And the reality is players have a short career and they need to take all the best decisions that they can for their playing career. And if that means going overseas, well, you know, they'll do it. Well, like uh, Taylor Simmons, she used to be a development player or, you know, like one of the players further down the bench um, in the WNBL, and she knew she wasn't going to get another WNBL contract, so she's gone over to Slovenia, and she's having a great time. Uh, I don't know how exactly what comps and how it works over there, 
but just based on what she's posted on socials, they've won like three championships. But, yeah, she's winning championships. She's dropping 40. She's living in another country, probably getting paid well, looks like she's having a great time. So even for the players who in the WNBL were playing DP spots or, you know, those kind of uh, ninth to 12th spots, even they can go over to Europe. But there's no stopping anyone. There's a lot of basketball out there to explore. That's that's absolutely it. That's why I think this this impasse is just not helping the league at all. Given, yeah, there's been an increase in viewership. Yes, membership sales are up. So all the numbers are going in the right direction. Why? Why do we sort of turn around and then have a, a huge amount of uproar like this, which then takes the focus away from we need to get an agreement in place with the ABPA where we can get players an increase in, in salary that means they can focus more on their basketball and, and then build the WNBL going forward, given that we've also got uh, Women's Asia Cup coming up in Sydney. So there's something else where we've got international competition. Get out there, promote it, get fans to the game. The ticket prices are lower than the World Cup, so hopefully you should be able to get more basketball fans. If in schools it's, that article is correct, and I have no reason to disagree with it, that it is the fastest-growing sport in schools, we should be able to get... Lots and lots of people coming to the Asia Cup and capitalise on this. The last thing you need is to be seeing stories like these ones uh, coming out, which is going to make the undecided fans go, really, Am I? do I want to kind of invest my time in a sport that, according to the headline, the future of the WNBL is in doubt? Hmm. Yeah, I think it puts the wrong doubt in people's mind when we put it that way. Yeah. Okay, so... We've had a bit of a rant. Yeah. <laughs> right. We've come to some outcomes about pizza toppings. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Beck, Beck Allen, you've been seen. You're on, you're on notice. <laughs> we managed to sneak a pun in there as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You capitalised on that pun. And we got to throw in a Ted Lasso quote also. So it's, it's been a pretty good pot all the way around. More Ted Lasso quotes for season five, oh, I say. 100%. <laughs> So, Jacinta, thanks for your time. We'll speak to you soon. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.